podcast that's banned on Facebook. This week, we're coming back from break to learn all about Taproot from its two founders. And no, Mac, you're not allowed to say anything here. You're one of those founders. We'll be talking to you. Hi, I'm Troy. No, Mac, still not allowed to say anything. We're speaking municipally. And we're back uh, after a much needed summer vacation. Speaking Municipally is back. And to open it up, I've been called to the principal's office. I'm joined <laughs> by both co-founders of Taproot Edmonton. One of them, a regular guest on the show, Mac Mayer. Guest. Your role on this show is a guest because we will be talking about Taproot. And of course, we're joined by the other co-founder, Karen Unland. You guys have been running Taproot for quite a while, and we really haven't talked much about the mechanics of it, what it is, how it does its work, what Taproot's goals as an organization are. And I figured, you know, nearly 300 episodes (laughs) in, maybe it was time to address some of that. It's a pleasure to have you both to welcome us back to the new Speaking Municipally season. Well, thank you, Troy. thought it might be good, not just for some marketing for Taproot, although that is a little bit of what this is, but also there's some really interesting things. There's a moment in Canadian journalism right now that a lot of people are talking about with Bill C-18, so it's maybe a good opportunity to address some of that. You know, you and I, Troy, know we're going to have some pretty serious uh, local topics to dig into in the weeks ahead, so we better to come back on a little bit of a lighter note than $450 million for police. We'll instead talk about hundreds of millions of dollars for post-media. Perfect. Um, And so I think that's the best place to start is the elephant in the room because we're recording this on Tuesday. I naturally will not be uh, recording any podcast at the fringe opening later this week. I encourage everyone to go see as many shows as possible. But let's talk about the um, taproot elephant in the room, which is you guys got banned from meta platforms. Well, us and everybody, right? So everybody in Canada, including the Beaverton yeah, including the Beaverton, even even pretend news, were caught in the game of chickens that Facebook or Meta and the Canadian federal government are engaged in around Bill C-18, which passed, I guess, earlier this year and said that Facebook and Google have to negotiate with news organizations uh, to get paid for sharing their news and really to compensate for the fact that they ate all of the advertising revenue that publishing used to rely on. Meta said, okay, so we just won't share news because we don't want to pay for it. And here we are. Uh, As of this week, nobody can see taproot links on on Facebook, or I guess if we put it on Instagram or threads, you wouldn't see it there either. Obviously, there's a whole context of the law and the passage and how this is all going to work and the big game of chicken. But take me into the mechanics of this, because when Mac and I were talking, you know, we speculated that maybe Taproot wouldn't get banned because Taproot doesn't even qualify to have deals made with you by Facebook anyway, right? <laughs> like this whole argument is kind of irrelevant to Taproot. You're kind of just caught in the crossfire. Yeah, I was on a call today, actually, with a bunch of independent publishers from across Canada, and somebody made the point that, like, it's not really our fight, right? This is a fight between the big tech giants and the big mainstream media guys, and so we're kind of caught in the crosshairs of that. And the other thing is nobody actually knows how they're doing this. My bet is that they've got some poor, unlucky, underpaid people that have been given a long list of pages, and they've got to go through and make a determination about which ones they're going to ban, and then they ban domains and things. 
because there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to why they've banned certain sites, right? It does seem like it's been sort of ad hoc. And from what I'm hearing, it really picked up in the last week that there is a much broader ban. And that is potentially reflective of some uh, intelligence that Facebook has been able to gather that the loss of news isn't really all that bad for their platform. Like there's a real risk here that the outcome for Canadian news is that it's just never on Facebook ever again, regardless of what happens with the, uh, you know, the, the Bill C-18 deals and, and all of that kind of thing. Because, you know, Facebook is a behemoth for lots of other reasons other than uh, Canadian news publishers sharing links on their platform. So anyway, the mechanics, I don't know exactly. All I know is our page is blocked. I can't post something to my personal profile that links to Taproot because the domain has been blocked. Some people can get around this if you use a VPN, but that didn't work for me. And not everybody's experiencing the same thing yet. You know, it's a big platform, uh, 2 billion people, like they're going to roll things out, not all at once, but in stages. So it, start, it seems like it's a, it's picking up though. How did you find out, right? Did you just like come across and say, oh, I guess we're banned now. Did you get any notification? Did you have any communication whatsoever or anything like that? No, none whatsoever. Debbie on our team posted on Facebook as usual in the morning. We usually share our stories and schedule out some things for the day. What have we published that day? And it worked fine. And then I happened to be going to our page later that day. I can't even remember why. Uh, but when I did, I noticed that it was completely blank. And I was like, that's odd. And I started poking around a little bit. And then I asked the team, like, is everybody seeing this? And so we just sort of discovered it. No, there was no, no communication. They, I don't think we're big enough for them to care about. And is this ban just links or is your like, because Taproot Edmonton does have a Facebook page. Can you share a bunch of memes on it or is it your entire profile has been banned from Facebook? Yeah, they've done two things for Canadian publishers. One is it's an account level ban. So you cannot go and post a meme or a selfie despite what some Facebook employees seem to think, actually, these are account level, page level bans. So we can't post anything on those pages. And then in addition to that, our domain name is banned from allowing anyone else to post links to it. So if you copy a URL to one of our stories, try and go to try to post it on your profile, it'll probably give you a morning that's or a little error message that says, you can't share this Canadian news content. So it's a pretty comprehensive ban is the point. Yeah, that, that sounds like it sucks a little bit. Um, <laughs> what's the level of concern at Taproot over this? Because uh, I know, you know, we had talked about it when it wasn't really real. And you're like, you know, we've got diversified media streams. Now that it's actually happening, like, are there people with their wigs on fire over there? Or is this steady as she goes? Uh, there's no fire. <laughs> Hair is not on fire. It's more of an irritating thing for a couple of reasons. We don't really rely on traffic from Facebook or any social media stream to to like direct people to Taproot. We use those because they're there and they're free and we know some people are there. But we mostly are, try to build our, our email list so that people subscribe to The Pulse and subscribe to our daily roundups and subscribe to Speaking Municipally. And so we have a, like a more direct relationship with the people that really engage with Taproot. Really, the thing that we've used Facebook for most is to tell people who didn't know who we are that we paid attention to them. So that's kind of like what we do when we share our stuff on social platforms is is we we mention people. So we say, hey, we listed your event in our event listing. Hey, we wrote a story about these folks that that they may want to at least get the mention so that they reshare it. And that kind of organic growth has always been, to me, like a really good way of not only reaching into the 
attention of people who didn't know who we are, but also to tell people this is what Taproot does, pays attention to Edmonton, including you, right? And so we think that's valuable. So if we can't use Facebook for that anymore, that's too bad. But it's not existential for us because we don't rely on that platform to bring tons of people to us to either see ads or to become like subscribing members. There are other publications across Canada who, you know, potentially derive 50% or more of their traffic from Meta's platforms, right? Facebook and and Instagram. And it'll be much more detrimental to those organizations, I think, right? Especially if they're directly monetizing it in some way. They have ads on their website or or something like that, right? Could be pretty problematic. We've, from the beginning, been pretty intentional about building multiple revenue streams and trying not to be beholden to any one thing. So I think that has served as well so far, although who knows where this is all going to go. I guess we'll have to see what the fallout is. But I agree, it's really about discovery, right? It's that some folks who are in that meta universe, and that's where they go to find information, maybe now don't have the opportunity to get introduced to Taproot. Although I understand if we're willing to give money to meta for ads, those aren't banned. They'll still take Oh, really? Oh, my God. (laughs) Love that. Yeah, You know, it reminds me of like the saga around college humor. Like there was a point where college humor was the king of the internet. They were raking all the dough. And then back in the early aughts, uh, Facebook was taking off. They promised so much views on their video and it turned out to be all bunk. The the views were fake Mm -hmm. and that bankrupted. The company went belly up. Sam Reich did buy it and now pivoted to membership only dropout.tv and they seem to be recovering but that story of like diversified revenue streams all out of eggs in one basket it's instructive because it's happened before to very big players that a lot of people thought were too big to fail you mentioned that you had talked with some uh independent media organizations that had i don't know formed a union banded together (laughs) had a call is that the story for a lot of independent media in canada where they have this sort of like alternate revenue stream or are there independent outlets in canada that are really feeling the pinch because of this social media ban well i think it's too early for all the ones that i've heard from anyway to to know if if there's a real pinch yet i think people are pretty concerned and there's just an incredible amount of uncertainty right which is a problem when you're so small and uh, you're trying to just get from day to day and, and make things work. The other big impact it's having, aside from potentially loss of you know readership and potentially loss of revenue, is this attention that it's taking, right? So we're a little fortunate at Taproot that I can afford to spend an hour on a call with these other independent publishers trying to under, understand what's the lay of the land. But there's lots of one and two person operations where that just doesn't fly. Like they have all their time is devoted to, to getting their publication out the door and whatever cadence you know, it is they they follow. So I think for those organizations, those publications, it's it's much more dire than it would be for us. Or they're just, you know, not kind of blinders on, like, I, I don't have capacity to worry about what's going on with C18. I just got to do what I do. In terms of revenue models, to answer your question, on this call, there was uh, some organizations much, much, much bigger than ours, and some that don't even have an email newsletter yet. So you know, there's quite a spectrum in Canadian media in terms of how people generate revenue. I would say, I don't know if you agree with this, Karen, but it seems to me like most of the smaller players have one. You know, they do membership or subscriptions or they do advertising or at best you're going to get a combination of those two things, but yeah. unlikely or uncommon to have any any other revenue stream beyond those. 
I think for some of those uh, smaller outlets, especially the ones that are gen- like sort of geared towards a younger audience, Instagram is like a really important distribution channel for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that they directly monetize per se, but to be able to find people where they are is important. That encouraged me to just check. Is Yegwave banned from Instagram? It doesn't look like it. It looks like Yegwave still has an Instagram account. So news is still alive, guys. We're, we're, we're oh doing great Well, I mean, this this is my other big problem with this is that in, in the sort of universe of true and non-sensational information for people to soak up about what's going on in their world, if there's barely any Canadian news we uh, get even more of a blast of American news, which is really bad for your mental health, I'm sure you would agree, and also distorts people's ideas of like how the legal system works, how democracy works, where we live. Uh, um, premiers can pardon people, right? That's, that's a fact. <laughs> exactly. We have seen some evidence of that problem. Uh, and then if, if these sort of pseudo-news guys still can 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 slip through uh that's not good for people to 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 get a sense of like how much of their city actually is functional and is not just this sort of chaos that that is conveyed with a few seconds of video so you've alluded a couple times to uh the smaller outlets and outlets with only one or two people it hasn't been clear on speaking municipally how big is taproot these days how many employees do you have are you you know, a media monolith super organization. <laughs> Clearly it's more than two because we've got two of you on the call right now. How big have you grown? We had a, we do a monthly team meeting actually, where we get together for lunch once a month and uh, we do that in person. And uh, not this last one, but the one before, I think we had eight or nine people around the table, which is the largest we've ever had. So some of those folks are, you know, summer students or they're on an internship with us. Um, some of them are part-time, but we do have three of us that are full-time, a couple of others that are pretty much full-time, pretty getting pretty close to that. And then a whole bunch of other contributors, such as yourself, who we work with on a regular basis uh, for either podcasting or stories or, or things like that. So, you know, it's not one or two people anymore. We have a full-time reporter who's been on the show before, Colin. You know, that's that makes us bigger than a large number of the independent publishers that are out there trying to play their part in whatever comes next for local news. It doesn't mean that we figured everything out and it doesn't mean that it's easy or anything like that. It's still a challenge to to make everything happen. But, you know, we've been able to grow and we, we plan to continue growing. So, you know, that's kind of where we're at in terms of team size. How big? Obviously, sure, you might want to make $11 billion and make the richest person on earth uh, charts. But, you know, when you become a larger media organization uh, with the hundreds of employees, some journalism does become more difficult. Is there a sweet spot of growth that like Taproot is looking for or is the sky the limit? Well, it's going to be a while before we get uh, to <laughs> that be that big. But I mean, what we want is to replace what is disappearing. And so eventually we want a newsroom that can pay attention to everything that's important in Edmonton and to have enough people generating enough money to pay all those people. So, and then to replicate this model in other cities that are seeing the same thing. So that's kind of like the big, big vision. There are some people that are in this game because they just, they really love journalism and they needed to become their own boss because there wasn't a place for them to work. And so they made their own. And I love 
that. That is, those are some of the thousand flowers blooming out there that will be part of the solution. We are a different kind of flower and we don't, we didn't just want to make a job for ourselves. Um, It's good that Taproot makes enough money to pay both of us full-time wages and another person full-time wages and a bunch of other people part-time or freelance uh, payments, but we want to keep getting bigger and more stable so that when inevitably the current incumbents disappear, we're there with something even better. Yeah, I'll just add quickly that, you know, it's not so much about a number, I think, as like, can we get to be that publication of record for our community? Do you need to have X number of people to do that? There's probably some milestones along the way, but, you know, we want to be the place that people turn to for what's happening in my city. I need to know what's going on. Who can I trust that can help me understand this really important thing that I heard about? Is that even true, this thing that I've heard about? We think Taproot can be that thing. And, you know, we're publishing daily, which is, I think, a big accomplishment already, right? Lots of publications do not publish daily. They are weekly or monthly or ad hoc. And we were there too when we started, right? But to be able to build systems and processes and things to get to where you can publish daily is a pretty significant achievement right now. And then being able to grow on top of that, build on that foundation, I think is what we're what we're keen to be able to do because we can publish daily, but we don't have a big enough team to pay attention to everything that's going on. And we'd love to be able to, you know, grow that team to have that broader um, perspective. And I know, Karen, you when you were talking, it reminded me, you worked at the Edmonton Journal like in the late 90s, early 2000s, like when before Post Media, before being gutted, it was... The newspaper of record, yeah. It was like what you see in Spotlight, right? Is that a fair <laughs> characterization of the Edmonton Journal back then? So I was there from 97 to 2011. Um, I don't know if uh, people know the chart of newspaper revenues, but there is a curve that you can see where it goes up and up and up from mid 20th century to about 2004 and then starts falling off a cliff. So I was there for the height of of revenues and part of the decline. I got out before it got really, really, really bad. So yeah, our newsroom was full. I, I worked in uh, as an intern in the early 90s. I worked in the Montreal Gazette and that re- newsroom was so full that we had to f- share computers. So like uh, <laughs> ancient history, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, there is no, there is no physical newsroom at the Edmonton Journal anymore. People didn't go back after the pandemic. And if they did, they would, they would have to like have walkie talkies to talk to each other. I guess their iPhones talk to each other because they would, it's like a cavernous space for very few people. Obviously Taproot is not falling off a cliff on revenue. Otherwise uh, wouldn't be growing. Talk to us a little bit about the revenue streams. So membership is for individuals and it's really about supporting the mission, right? If you believe that there should be trustworthy, independent local news in Edmonton, publishing regularly, helping us understand what's going on, then we appreciate any support that individuals can provide by becoming a member. Um, We do sell some advertising and sponsorship. We're not doing that on the website, so it's not page view driven, but we do do that in our email newsletters. And that's actually a pretty significant chunk of our revenue. And we we anticipate that that'll grow as well as our audience grows and as other opportunities for 
organizations who want to get their message out dwindle, right? Uh, especially trustworthy places where organizations want to reach, you know, engaged local folks or targeted local folks. I think there's opportunity for Taproot there. So that's our second revenue stream. And so those are relatively traditional and common, right? We see those in other independent publishers. Advertising is what the media has been on for a long time, right? This is part of the predicament. So our third revenue stream and the one that is the most unique is that we offer a B2B service that we call Spotlight to organizations. So in the same way that we round up all the news about the tech industry in Edmonton and put it into the tech roundup, you know, we can do that on behalf of an organization. So it could be about a topic, could be about a group of organizations that they are interested in and want to track or a combination of those things. Uh, so it's a little bit like media monitoring, but, you know, not just here's a dump of links from Google Alerts and you know, you have to go and filter through all that, but something that's more tangible, something that they can actually take some action on and do something with. And, you know, it's a pretty niche little product, but we've found a real problem that we can solve for organizations. And that's where we're able to generate some revenue. We're solving a problem for businesses using the tools of journalism to build this uh, this machine to do more journalism. So you had mentioned earlier that you're one of the increasingly shrinking number of organizations that are publishing daily, but I've been following Taproot for quite a long time, way back when uh, there was this Story Garden uh, beta page. And I do seem to recall it was almost a point of pride that you weren't publishing daily, that the goal <laughs> wasn't to publish daily. What changed? Because uh, clearly that's not quite the same anymore. Well, that might even be like a bit of a justification. It's like we literally can't, so we don't even want to. But <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just we had to start where we could, and and so we just started in 2016. We had a a chance to kind of like put up a a landing page and go to an event about the future of journalism and say we're doing this, and if you would like to support us in doing this, then put your money where your mouth is and and put your credit card into that stripe so that we can uh, and buy membership. And that was like gave us some validation that that people thought Mac and Karen might be able to do something about this. And so that was like the beginning. And then we just kind of sold those memberships and and gathered money to pay freelancers to do stories. And yeah, we did make a a virtue of kind of slow journalism, which is like an, a movement and and not trying to be cover breaking news or chase after the latest murder or bizarre thing happening at the legislature or whatever um, and and go deeper and explain pe to people more like fully and, and be guided by things that they were curious about instead of just us on the assignment desk deciding this is today's news. Um, and those things have all kind of, those principles have all kind of like sort of evolved over time, but found a different way of, of living within what Taproot does. Um, we sped up that metabolism with the um, roundups because those eat, those come out on a weekly cadence. And that kind of reinforced and proved an idea that we had that just concerted attention, paying to doing something over and over again is really valuable and really builds up a body of work and just sort of an intelligence that uh, is more valuable than a one-off story actually, or as valuable. And in some ways, I think more for, for truly helping people understand what's going on. And then it was just kind of like a natural leap from there to 
the the pulse with with a, a daily presence in the morning. Share our stories. Share a, a digest of what's going on, uh, what the, what other media have covered or other other news that that is has arisen over the past twenty four hours. Tell you the weather. Tell you what the lights mean on the high level bridge tell you how much the elks lost by uh, we just felt like that was like a natural progression and as our business has grown we've been just been literally been able to do that stuff so um, why not and publishing daily i think we should really explain what we mean by that right so we publish an original story every day sometimes two so we're not a content mill we're not publishing you know, six press releases and one new thing, like some of the other publications are. Like, we're not trying to fill space or anything like that. And we've always believed that, you know, we can use the power of the link, which is, you know, bringing it back to C18, why trying to tax the link is such an idiotic idea. We can use the power of the link to point people to things in a, in a sort of curated, trusted way. And so that's what we do in The Pulse. So, you know, to be a daily publish publication, I don't mean we're publishing everything that everybody else is publishing. There's no matching trying to go on. As Karen said, we're still not interested in breaking news. We've done it occasionally when something inevitably comes to our attention because we do pay such close attention, but it's not something we're out there seeking to do. So, you know, publishing daily, but with some of those founding principles still, as Karen said, evolving and and relevant, but in a different way. One of the things that most media organizations tend to do is when the breaking news piece happens, they all write about it or republish the press release. And every news organization will have roughly the same article. I think, you know, when the news broke a couple of weeks ago about uh, Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire, like everyone published the same three sentences immediately uh, to get in on the feed. Uh, Taproot didn't. And like you said, there's these links that are get, getting shared in the Pulse. You follow things closely. So oftentimes, I'm sure you'll see a news story and think, well, we have a little bit more context than is in that story that's published there. How do you decide what gets a taproot story and what gets a link to some other coverage? What What's the sort of adjudication process there? Sometimes like it's very practical. Do we have anybody who could do this, right? Like that, it comes down to that. There is a a taprootiness to some topics that just if maybe a shorthand for it is if it hits two or more of our regular beats, it's probably something that we should consider doing. So if it's got a regional kind of focus and a food focus, I'm more interested. If it's got uh, sort of a business cast and it touches on health innovation, I kind of get even more interested about it. So like that's part of the decision matrix. In any given day, there's a million things that happen that they like that that you can't jump on immediately, right? And so, some of it is: is this a sort of thing that Taproot usually does, we, and that Taproot would do better because of the context that we bring to it, because the fact that we pay attention to that a lot, that's part of it. And then I think I just have in my mind. Like we're small enough, I actually know some of our readers, lots of our readers. <laughs> and so sometimes I'm thinking, you know what, that person would really like it if we explain this for them. And I think you know, not going and trying to be first frees you up 
to then make a better decision about, can we do a good job here with the context? Can we have a second look at this and bring something to the table that helps people understand this better, does something different? Back to the celebrity thing, like we would never write about Trudeau and Gregoire because it's not Edmonton. But, you know, that rush to be first has all kinds of consequences, right? Like recently, a whole bunch of news publications were duped into posting about that rapper Lil Tay because her Instagram account was hacked and it said she died, but she didn't die. And then all these publications had to retract, you know, all the stuff that they did just because they're trying to be first with this, you know, bit of breaking news. And everybody would probably be a lot healthier if, uh, if we didn't try to just rush, rush, rush to be first all the time to publish things. So that's something that we try to keep in mind really seriously. And when we do breaking news for Taproot, you know, it's not that kind of thing. Like how fast can we click the publish button? It's more like, you know, we got a scoop on something or we've, we've learned something that other people are unlikely to know. Um, and then we can, you know, decide if it's worth putting our limited resources into, you know, trying to get that out the door. We've talked about a lot of stuff and we've taken up a lot of time, but we haven't gotten to what spurred this episode. And that was an offhand comment by Mac about how you actually do journalism, which was novel to me. You use GitHub and Git, which for those, I imagine the intersection of software development and our podcast listenership is pretty small, but those are software developer tools. Those are things that I use in my day job to write code. Mac, what? What are you doing over there? Um, <laughs> is this something where it's like if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, or are you are you on to something here? I mean, it could be some of that, as you as you know, and probably most of our listeners know. I also uh, am a software developer by education and in background and everything. But uh, look, I would say I've always believed that software developers have some of the best tools available to them to do their job in any profession. I can't think of many other professions where the people building things for other people spend maybe more time building things for themselves to make it better to build things for other people. And so software developers, you know, it's not an easy job. I think it does select for people that are prone to uh, dealing with frustration well and are okay to run up against the same thing and bang their head against it for a while. But, but still, like, they have incredible tooling for what they do. And I've always thought that that could be applied to other places. And so journalism is like writing code in some ways. You know, you're writing words and you're putting them in a certain order and, and all of that kind of stuff. And so a lot of the tools that I was familiar with as a software developer, I thought could be applicable to journalism. And then I'm just grateful that I had a co-founder who was open to my crazy ideas and thought we'd give it a try. And I've also, also um, I'll say, been surprised at how many of the journalists we've worked with over the years have been really open to this. And, and it kind of helped me understand that, like, this isn't actually a new idea in journalism. The coding part is new and those tools are new. But this idea that we're using a new system is ever present in journalism. Content management systems change all the time. Platforms change all the time. How they get the words from the writers into the printed page, you know, changed frequently. And lots of journalists were just familiar, you know, with that kind of change. And so they were able to uh, be open to, you know, trying something new here. Are we onto something? I think we are. Like, I think we've got a pretty well-defined, you know, system now that probably we could teach to some other people and they would have an immediate impact uh, on what they do. But I should let Karen answer that because you have to deal with it every day. Like, I have gone through lots of different content management systems in my time and I've never loved one until now. I love our content management system. It, it does everything that we need in order to have a shared brain about what is happening, where things are at, 
to have version control on on the things to to be able to communicate without a message this is ready for you to take and also planning tools as far as like for for my my work as as our current editor-in-chief it's like to be able to just know what's coming and and make contingency plans like this what mac has built has all of that functionality so much better than anything else that I've ever worked with. So it took a while for this old dog to learn some of those new tricks because, you know, I haven't come up through software development, but there is, it, it is extremely intuitive and powerful and will grow with us. I'm going to put a jargon alert on this section and I want to dig in just a little bit. Maybe this is the soft launch for your third, fourth revenue stream at Taproot, <laughs> which is teaching other journalisms how to get. Uh, can you take me through the workflow? What tooling do you use to from like the inception of idea to publishing and how, do, how does it look like? How, how does it work um, as an organization? We start with a GitHub issue. So when we have a story idea, it goes in as an issue in our GitHub repository. So this is like ticket in other systems or a user story or something like that, a card. And it just has, what do we think the headline is going to be? Or what is the question that we're trying to explore in the story? And then some text in the description about, here's what I think the story is about. Here's who I would talk to. And here's why Taproot should do the story. So those are sort of the common things we put into every issue. We have a daily editorial meeting and the team will look at those issues and other issues that are they're working on. They'll get assigned to someone uh, when they're ready to, to work on it. And then we use labels to help us manage the workflow. So in GitHub, uh, an issue can have one or more labels. And we've built a little workflow to go from you know an idea to something we're pursuing to something that's a work in progress, ready for edit, ready to publish, and then finally published. You can manually go in and change the labels on those issues, but of course we automated that a little bit. So now the reporter has been assigned an issue, they're working on that. We use Visual Studio Code. This is a software program that programmers use to write code, but it can be used for lots of other things as well. And a little side note, the benefit of using all this programmer tooling is that every time they improve it, we get to benefit from those improvements. Whereas traditionally in journalism, they'd build a CMS for a publication and then it would never get changed. Like it would just be static. Or you'd right? have to pay someone to make updates. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so the reporter writes in Markdown, which is just a way of formatting text in, uh, in Visual Studio Code. And then they commit that to Git. So this is how you tell the version control system, I have a file for you. And all we did, which I think is kind of ingenious, is we adopted a little bit of convention with our commit messages. So when you commit something to Git, you're supposed to say, what is this change about? Like, I fixed the bug or whatever. In our case, we do uh, a little shorthand thing. So WIP for work in progress. RFE is ready for edit, RTP or pub, ready to publish, publish. And if you start your commit message with that and you you uh, attach that um, issue, then we've got some automation that runs in the background to automatically change the labels. In the case of publishing, close the issue, change the labels. So it just saves people time. Instead of having to go and update this thing over here, once I do this thing over there, it's like all part of that consistent workflow. The most manual thing we have so far is after that whole process is done, how does the markdown get onto our website? And currently, we we uh, we sort of copy paste the sections into the various parts <laughs> of the website. Um, but that's 
the next thing that will be automated. And like, we have everything in place to make that happen. So Mac, I uh, was so excited for you to say you're the first journalism org to publish via continuous integration. Oh, that would, that would have made my day, but you well, know, we're, baby steps. we're almost there. Uh, and then it's kind of weird because this broken manual piece in the middle, because once it's in the website, publishing for distribution, like to our newsletters is then completely automated as well. Nobody goes into an email platform and copy paste code, they click a button, and it generates, you know, the newsletter, and we couldn't publish the pulse every day if, if somebody had to manually go and do all of that work. So we're almost completely automated in that whole pipeline, Troy. So I'm looking at the notes that the YouTube journalists provide me to ask you about <laughs> your journalism organization, which, you know, some level of malpractice is happening here. But uh, it says that we want to hit on what's happening next. And the first bullet point right here is Taproot is hiring. Well, pretty soon. We don't have the postings up, but we are intending to hire uh, very, very soon for some editorial positions or some positions that will enable Mac and I to uh, to get out of the day to day and working, continuing to work on the business instead of in the business as the uh, entrepreneurial cliche goes. So that will be uh, how we're just finishing making that possible uh, financially wise. And and then we will get those postings up. Mac, you're still staying on the podcast though, right? Yeah, for now. Uh, although who knows, right? Because I think that uh, if we can continue to grow Taproot and we can continue to have the kind of impact that we want to have, then the attention of Karen and I is going to be pulled into other directions it needs to be in order to help the thing grow. It's nothing against you though, Troy. <laughs> and we'll give our listeners a heads up, of course, about any potential changes. What's the roadmap for Taproot. What's coming next down the pipeline? What can people expect? Well, hopefully one of the things that happens right away is that more people learn about Taproot and start reading Taproot because we're not the only publication that's been blocked on Meta. All the other publications have as well. You know, the sources uh, or the opportunity to find local news is going to become more direct, I think. So why not make that direct with Taproot rather than uh, direct with somebody who republishes news releases? So there's my little pitch to, you know, read Taproot, <laughs> tell your friends to read Taproot. One of the other things we're working on is uh, we've talked about this a little bit earlier on in the years as an events calendar. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot over the years from our community about, I wish I knew that thing was happening, or how do I find out about what's happening, or uh, I missed it, I needed to know sooner about that thing because it could have had an impact for me. And we have tried to tackle this in various ways over the years. We do event listings currently in the Pulse twice a week. So we do a weekend agenda, here's what's coming up this weekend, and then a, here's what's coming up this week. And readers really like that. And you know, we we know that from, from the data that some of the things that people click on most over the years are events. People really want to know what's happening, but we think we can do a better job of this. And so one of the things that's coming is we're going to build an events calendar. And I'm happy to tell people about it because all that matters here is execution, right? Lots of people have the idea of doing an events calendar, but I think Taproot is pretty uniquely positioned to actually do it and do it well. And so that's what we're, we're, we're working on for the rest of the year. One of the things we're hoping to launch this year, because we think it'll actually have a real impact on our community and, and really help people understand what's going on in their community in a different way than what we currently do with the Pulse in a complementary way to what we do with our, our journalism. So that's I think pretty exciting. And we heard, you know, we surveyed our, our readership earlier in the year and we heard loud and clear that this is something that they would value. So uh, we hope they will. And we hope it'll also introduce Taproot to new readers as well. Uh, I see some uh, onomatopoeia in the notes here. It says, 
toot 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 my own horn uh, taproot <laughs> has been uh, nominated for an award yeah uh, lion publishers which is uh, re- represents local independent online news uh, in north america um, they've nominated us for the Operational Resilience Award, which maybe that's another jargon alert, but <laughs> it just uh, it's about looking after the people who do the work. And we have done a lot of work over the past year to do a better job of that and um, develop some processes and practices and things that we do to actually live our values and not just say them. They thought that what we put together was was uh, worth uh, nominating us alongside uh, three other small publications um, all in the States. So that's exciting. Uh, as I said in the blog post that we'll link to in the show notes, uh, if I'm allowed to say that. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that uh, that um, we've got miles to go on this. Like it's a, that's an ongoing process. It's really hard. To when you're when you're building the plane while flying it to also make sure that everybody is tended to but you have to otherwise uh there's there's really no point and so we're working on it we've learned some things the hard way and we're going to continue to learn but it's nice to get recognized a little bit for trying to make an effort to do that i've worked in a few different newsrooms they are uh they are bad at looking after people because you, you basically, when, when, when you become a journalist, you kind of, it's, you feel called and you're so happy that someone wants to pay you to do this thing that you love anyway, that you put up with a lot. And I don't want to be a place where people have to put up with a lot. I want to be a place where people feel supported. And so that's what we're working on. And somebody thought we were doing a good. I'm sure Mac can recognize this as well. It, the same thing exists in software. Game development uh, used to be that thing. People were so passionate about games and even local companies like Bioware. Um, there was historic crunch time that was pretty toxic and spat people out. That is something that is getting better in the industry. And I'm glad to see Taproots doing a little bit to help uh, on the journalism industry as well. Um, I'm looking down here and it says ad number two, the pulse. And it, it feels really gauche to advertise <laughs> Taproot after this episode. So I'm going to give you to the standard guest offer. We're closing it out. If people want to learn more, what can people do to support the organization? What do you want to share with it? The floor is yours. You can fight each other for who gets to go first. Um, <laughs> but here's, here's your closing segment. Okay, well, it's just going to save you a lot of time if you subscribe to The Pulse and any of the roundups that you would, uh, that that tickle your fancy. We have six, food, tech, uh, the region, health innovation, business, and arts. Uh, You can, uh, we haven't like shouted this from the rooftops yet, but we used to have like a limit on how many roundups you could get. Now you can get as many as you want. So like, just go ahead and subscribe to our newsletters and and read them when they arrive in your inbox, which a huge proportion of our people do actually, which is very gratifying as well. Um, Also, I mean, surely you are subscribed to Speaking Municipally. Subscribe to Let's Find Out as well, because that comes out every month and they have some exciting things happening in September, including a live show on September 21st. And uh, yeah, put your energy into that. And then if you are somebody who wants to reach the smartest and most amazing people in Edmonton and, and you have something to share with them, 
you should continue, you should advertise in the pulse and on speaking municipally, because that would be the best way to reach the most important people. And I know, Troy, that you have some listeners at City Hall, and I feel like the city of Edmonton could reach some people in a very powerful way if they bought some ads with Taproot. You could definitely temper some of our comments about you uh, by <laughs> saying, taking out a competing ad on the podcast. Uh, you I know? don't think we want to extort them. <laughs> I just think that if you got some something useful to say about changes to the garbage schedule or something, we're here for you. It and sure would be unfortunate if no one heard about your consultation opportunity, City of Edmonton. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Mac, uh, I know is going to be hard to follow up. Do you have anything else to add? Just two really quick things. Uh, in addition to all the opportunities that Karen mentioned, you might want to support Taproot in a different way, in a non-financial way, and that's okay too. Uh, telling people about what we do, introducing somebody new to it, sending us a tip or some feedback or some criticism, all of that is much appreciated by our team and it helps us keep doing uh, what we're doing. Silence is the worst thing of all, right? Uh, it's much better to hear that people are either finding what we're doing useful or not. And then lastly, because we are going to be trying to grow our team here, if you know somebody who would be a good fit for Taproot or you think there's somebody we should talk to, encourage them to get in touch with us or, or, uh, or give us a heads up and we're happy to explore that further. Um, we want to bring some some talented um, people onto our team who can help us help help us in our mission to help Edmontonians understand their city better. Uh, I've been buying stuff on Facebook Marketplace recently, and they don't allow phone numbers, but you often see people typing, you know, S E V E N E I G H T. You can do the same thing on Facebook, you know type Taproot with uh, weird letters and numbers in the middle. You know, you can share the links in ingenious ways. Really <laughs> test Facebook sensors and. Uh, Get that, get that word out on this uh, prohibition era. Uh, <laughs> but that's all we have time for. And by have time for, I mean, we've gone substantially over time. But this is back payment for an entire uh, <laughs> summer of vacation. And of course, we will be back next week. Uh, next week is going to be a big week. Max said we cannot under any circumstances miss this week because it's the big one. It's not going to be pushed back. Knock on wood. Police funding formula is getting debated this week? Well, it will be at uh, City Council. They will, it is on the agenda and they will have a conversation about it because they actually released the report. But Troy, that doesn't mean that actually I think they're going to decide on anything next week. I don't know if you have a sense of that, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, if there's anything City Council is good at, it's taking that can and just kicking it kicking down it the down road. road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but we'll be there to help unpack it and help you understand why they decided to kick it down the road this time. We know that you have burning news questions, so here's what else you need to know today. Another folk festival has come and gone in the city of Edmonton, with the two Valley Line LRT stops adjacent to the festival site remaining unserviced by the new urban rail. This caused a Sunday night kerfuffle when pop band Train was unable to arrive at the event because of the rider in their contract stipulating that Train must only travel by train. Plus, Animal Protective Services has removed 56 cats from a central Edmonton home this week after receiving an animal welfare concern. The cats are now with animal care and control, receiving treatment while they await the conclusion of the SAG after a strike and the restart of production on Cats 2. And finally this week, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith has invoked the Alberta Sovereignty Act, saying that the Trudeau-Notley Coalition's forcing of sunlight on Albertans violates Alberta's constitutionally protected right to exist exclusively under a blanket of acrid, sky-blotting smog. When asked how long she planned to force Albertans into the dark, the Premier said, quote, 
it's uh, it's six months. It, we we think that that is a reasonable amount of time. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. I'm Karen. And we are speaking, speaking municipally. municipally. So nice to not have to explain that to someone. Oh. <laughs> 